What's up, friends? January 15th, 2023. Can you believe that you're already two weeks into 2023? The older I get, the faster time goes, and uh, it just seems to get away from us so quickly. Uh, lots of great things coming up in the new year. Uh, we are beginning uh, week two of our series, God in Everyday Life. And today we're going to be answering the question, hey, what does it mean to abide? Here on the Wills Point campus, uh, we just sang a song that said, teach me to abide. And when I think about abiding, I think oftentimes there's one thing that comes to my mind. I think, well, it's about reading God's word. And you think about being with God every day and just reading his word. But today I want to just kind of look at a passage together. For many of us here, it may be a familiar passage. Others of you, it may be the first time that you've ever uh, read it. But it's a very simple passage. It's one that I can grasp the concept of uh, as an East Texas redneck. And so if I can get the concept, I'm pretty sure you can too. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. These are going to be the words of Jesus as he's sharing uh, with his followers, uh, what it looks like to abide. He's going to use this word abide, uh, which in the Greek simply means to remain. Uh, it's the idea of staying put and to not wander off. So it's the idea of staying close and near. So proximity is the key when you think about abiding. And Jesus says these words, beginning in John chapter 15, verses 5 through 11. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, is it, he it is that bears much fruit. And then he says these words, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now, what he is basically saying is, he says, in me there is life, in me there is power, in me there is uh, the benefit of knowing and enjoying God. Whoever abides in me and I in you, he it is that bears much fruit. And then he says these words, which are, are a struggle for us to believe, but he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Ideally, when we understand this, we realize that without God, our lives are unmanageable, that we are powerless to do anything in and of ourselves. So Jesus is simply confirming that. He says, I am the power source. I'm the vine. You which means any of us, okay, are the branches. He goes, if you are not abiding in me and I in you, then he goes, you, you don't have any power. Your life is unmanageable. You're going to be chaotic. Things are going to be out of control. So he goes, the proper place and perspective is really important. Then he goes on, though, and he says this, verse 6, if anyone does not abide, remember that, remain, that word remains remain or to be kept, to not depart. If you don't abide, he goes, you're going to be thrown away like a branch, and, and you're going to wither. And the branches are gathered, and they're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. So really, the last few weeks of, of my life, I have spent collecting and burning wood. Uh, just going around our property, and I'm just cleaning up things. And, and to find something that is going to be burned simply means that it will not grow in and of itself. So when something is severed and cut off from the actual source, it is good for what? firewood. If you remember what we were created for last week, we we're created to be image bearers of our God in distinct ways. It means that if we're going to be what he desires us to be, reflecting his character to others, we have to know his character and we have to be enjoying a relationship with him. Apart from him, he goes, your life is not useful. 
your chaotic, unmanageable life is out of control. You are like kindling. And I don't know about you, but I want my life to count for more than wood and kindling. Yes? You're like, well, I can create a pretty good fire in my life. If you watch, Brandon. No, I don't think that's the desire. Drama is not the goal, okay? What it is the goal is usefulness. Verse 7, he goes on, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I think you could star this because it's oftentimes passed over in this passage. But in verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And he's talking about prayer. He's talking about what it looks like to have a relation with God. And then he goes on in verse 8. He says, By this my Father is glorified that you would bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So abiding in, with God gives you an opportunity to prove that you're disciples by the way that you demonstrate the faithfulness of God as fruit. But he goes, it's also an opportunity for you to ask whatever you wish in prayer and it be done for you. Verse 9 goes on. He says, And the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. So abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So he goes, the reason that you abide with me is so that you would display the characteristics of me. You would be my disciples, that I... I would put my words in you and that you would discern those and you would be able to have a relation with me and ask whatever you wish to be done for you. That you would abide in my love, that you would be disciples of my love. And so for that sake, you would share love with others. And then you would also keep my commandments. So all these things that he is telling us about what it looks like to abide. And so it just brings to mind what the psalmist says in Psalm 16, verse 11, he says this, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That knowing and enjoying God is the key to having God in our everyday life. So friends, last week we said, hey, we're image bearers. There's six qualities of God that we are to reflect in our everyday life. How do we do that? Only when we stay cut. Closely connected to him, which begs the question, how are you doing there? And if I were to talk about abiding in your life, you may say, well, I, you know, I read God's word. Okay, but what does it look like in other areas? And so here's a definition of abide that maybe helps us as a working definition today and next week. Abide simply means this, to daily live for Christ with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then to delight in his pleasures and his purposes. So it is saying, Lord, you have all of me. You have all of my what? Heart and soul, my strength and my mind. And my goal, Lord, today is to delight in your provisions and your purposes. And that's what, a, that's what it looks like to align and also abide with God. And so today we're going to talk about this aspect of abiding, but we're going to look at it from just the perspective of loving God with all our heart and our soul. Next week, we're going to talk about strength and mind, but our heart and soul today. And if our heart and soul is aligned with God, what does I think about is a call to daily prayer. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you go, I'm excellent in prayer. And so if you're excellent in prayer, there may be a few tidbits for you. And, uh, but 
for me, I'm not excellent in prayer, and this is something that I've studied and I've taught on about seven or eight different times throughout the course of this last uh, 12 years, and it's something that I continue to want to understand. And so today, I'm just going to share a handful of things with you around the purpose and the plan of prayer. So we're going to talk about the purpose of prayer, and we're going to show you the plan of prayer. Now, there's a lot of you in here that you've been praying the Cowboys will win the Super Bowl. And here's the deal. I'm like, hey, good. Here's what I've been praying for, that the Cowboys don't play on a Sunday so I can preach as long as I want. <laughs> and maybe, maybe it is that God hears the prayers of the righteous, but I won. I won. There is no place for any of us to be today because the Cowboys don't play till tomorrow. And so um, buckle up, friends. I'm going to give you the purpose of plan, the prayer and the plan of prayer. Now, here's the reason I, I kid about that is I'm about to give you a lot of text. We're going to read quite a few texts. I'm going to touch on them. You're not going to be able to look them all up. That's okay. Hey, take a note. Uh, you can also get those in the Stone Point News tomorrow. Uh, if you don't get the Stone Point News, you want to kind of be caught up on the happenings of what's going on around here. But more than that, you just want the sermon notes. Like everything I have to offer, you can go to stonepointchurch.com forward slash news It'll take you 10 seconds, put your name, your email address, and every single Monday at 5 p.m. on the dot, you'll get the Stone Point News uh, with everything that's happening. You'll also get a bonus of that, um, devotionals that are written by our church family on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturday mornings for you enjoy as we read through the book of Esther together. And so and take, take that for what you want, but if you're not getting those things, you can. But I'm going to give you a ton of stuff today. And so here's the purpose of prayer. It's threefold. The first thing about prayer is it allows you and I to put our confidence in God. We place our confidence in God in prayer. So prayer is acknowledging the very things that Jesus says. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you believe that, Lord, I can do nothing without you, prayer is a means of just cooperating and aligning your life with God. And it's literally saying, Lord, I am powerless today to do anything apart from you. And so, Lord, in my prayer, I just place my confidence upon you. It is literally saying, Lord, I need connection to you. And one means of connection is through prayer. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Prayer is an opportunity to come before God with confidence. Confidence knowing that he accepts us based on the righteousness of his son Jesus. Knowing that God is not distant or far off because he has brought us near through the blood of Christ. So because of Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, because of the fact that we can place our life in his hands and we can have his provision, then that means that we can come with confidence anytime, anywhere, any, anything we have to offer, we can place before Lord, the Lord, with confidence that not only we come near to him, but confidence also that he is aware and that he hears us. And so when I think about this idea of confidence in God, I know that he is approachable. Psalm 27, 8 says it this way, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. So the Lord is saying, hey, come to me, seek me. We have confidence that we can do that, that we can seek him and find him. We also do that uh, knowing that he is available to us anytime. Uh, it's never too early and it's never too late, right? So you're not going to beckon God too early in the morning. You're going to say, Lord, I get up way before you do. You're never going to find him slumbering later in the day. It's never gonna, he's never going to go to bed before you do, 
So you can come to him anytime, and he is not only approachable and available, but he is saying, hey, listen, come to me. Psalm 88, 13 says this way, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Psalm 55, roughly 30 chapters earlier, says, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. So you can call upon him anytime, anywhere, and he is available. He is attentive. He is approachable. And what's incredible about this idea of being attentive, it it just reminds us that when he's attentive to to everything, there's nothing too small and there's nothing too large for him. And I don't know about you, but maybe your life resembles mine. We have three kiddos at our house that are under 12. And I would say that we have different stages and seasons in our life. And many of you have different stages and seasons of your life. And uh, there are some of you that your life looks quite different than ours does in this stage. But maybe you can remember or even reflect on some of the things I'm about to share with you. But when I think about this idea of God being attentive, it means that he's attentive to the big and the small. And some of the things that feel big to us are really small. But I would tell you, um, that in our house, it, it seems to always be chaos, right? Like it just feels like you can never catch up. And, and it seems like you're always fighting against the clock. And with three kiddos who struggle to pick up after themselves, it feels like you're always, what, having to catch up for not just yourself, but for several others. And so some of you ladies are even looking at your, your husband and you're like, yeah, it would be good if you'd pick up your stuff too. So some of you are not just picking up after three kids, you're picking up after four, right? But the reality is, is that it just brings about anxiousness because you're like, you know, I would love to have my house in order and you feel like it's just chaotic. And you feel like with a house out of order, then it feels like your time is always somehow behind. And it feels like you're just always behind the clock. And then not only that, you've also got other things that you're worried or you're, you're kind of fretting over. And so for some of you, it's not only, hey, I feel like my life is chaotic and unmanageable, but then there's some daily pressures, right? It's the weekly grind. It's the things that are going on at work. It's the conversations that you have to have. And there's some of you that this week, you're very anxious because you have to have a conversation with a coworker who they're not up to standard and they're not doing some of the things. They're not excellent in all things like we talked about last week. And as a result, you got to have a conversation and you're like, that, I'm sweating bullets and you're worried about it and you're up at night and it's anxious. And you're not eating because you're like, I don't, this is a friend, but I have to have a conversation with them. And that's very difficult. The Lord cares about that. And the Lord cares about your your house that's not clean. And he cares about the schedule that you seem to always be behind in. He also cares about your character and all of those things and how you handle those daily pressures. Matter of fact, we just know that even Philippians chapter four, which I'm not going to put for you up on the screen, but I think about that. It just says, don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, present your quest to God. Like it's the idea that he does care. He cares about the sleep that you lost last night because of a kid that was sick. He cares about the sleep that you need to get tonight because you're behind. He cares. And that's what's so interesting. Prayer allows us to just cast everything upon our God. The monthly budget that you started in January, that you're already a little behind on because things are out of whack and that you have bills that have stacked up. Your car accidentally broke down. You feel the fret of that. Like, hey, God cares. He cares about these things, and he he desires that we would place our confidence in him when it comes to these matters. So prayer, friends, is an opportunity to do that on all occasions. Ephesians 6 verse 18 says this, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So he goes, pray at all times, in the spirit, about all things. That's incredible news to us. Why? Because our God is active, and he does not slumber, he does not sleep, and he does care. I love the passage in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31. He says this, Have you not known and have you not heard that the Lord is everlasting? That he's the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases his strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. That, friends, is what God desires to do. Supply you with your everyday needs. Why? Because he says, put your confidence in me. That's what prayer does. Prayer every day allows you just to say, Lord, I don't have the strength today. I don't have the fortitude. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the answer. I feel lazy and lethargic. Lord, I just want to stay home. I just want to pull the covers over my head. And, And yet you're calling me to do more. So I place my confidence upon you. I'm asking for your strength. I'm asking for your wisdom. Lord, I am imploring that you would help me to stay connected to you, to trust you when I don't see the next step, to eagerly await you when it seems that you are not hearing me. Lord, give me strength to place my confidence in you. That's what prayer is. But it doesn't just stop there. Prayer also is an opportunity to conform our everyday lives to his will and ways, which is at the end of the day, our message about everyday life. Friends, prayer is an everyday life thing. And he desires that every day our lives are more conformed to his image than the day before. And so prayer is a means to cooperate with God in his purposes. Probably one of the misused scriptures that I know of in my lifetime is Psalm 37.4, which simply says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I can remember reading this as a teenager who did not know his Bible well and had not been discipled all that well in the scriptures. And uh, I just thought, oh man, this opens the gateway to all that I can get from God. And so like you're just praying for all kinds of crazy things, right? Uh, You're praying for his blessings. And and like, I mean, a a new F-150. I mean, that would be nice. I would love that. And so that's a misused scripture. It's the idea that if you delight yourself with the Lord, he'll give you everything. So, hey, love God and he'll just give you everything that your heart desires if you're living by faith. That's not what the scripture means. What the scripture does mean, delight yourself with the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The idea is conform yourself to what he's doing and you'll see him answer your prayers. So he's not saying, hey, um, beckon him as your servant. Y'all know the little bell that you ring? Ding, ding, ding. Anybody? Y'all know that? It's at a hotel counter or somewhere else. Now there, there are some of us in here that we love that little bell because it's like, we like for people to serve us. Ding, 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 ding. I have this thing about myself, and some of you can relate. I will not ring the bell. And so, like, I will wait sometimes for 30 minutes in, in frustration. I'm pacing back and forth. I'm like, where are the people? They should be doing their job. But I cannot bring myself to go, ding, I just can't do it. Which would probably uh, maybe ache into my prayer life. Like, I struggle sometimes to ask much of God. And I find myself struggling to beckon him. And so there's, in some ways, this contrasting balance. What we do is we beckon him, 
Because we need him, but we also have a clear understanding that we are cooperating with God as his servant, not him being our servant. And so when we think about this idea of aligning our heart with him, it just reminds me of Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans and the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It's not saying, Lord, let me have a piece of my mind so that you'll do what I beckon you to. Instead, Lord, help me to have your mind so that I stand in the purposes of the Lord. So it's asking God, would you change me to help me become what you desire as I partner with you in these things? It's Isaiah 14, verse 24, which says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. It is the Lord's purposes that we align ourselves to. And so even as we pray, I think oftentimes what happens is in our prayer, we're praying about circumstances that change. But in the midst of that, maybe we should say, Lord, would you change my character in the midst of these circumstances? So I think oftentimes it's, Lord, would you change this and change that? It's saying, hey, here's my mind. But instead it's saying, Lord, in the midst of this, well, I can't see everything you're doing. Would you change me? That's what prayer looks like, to conform ourselves. So it's confidence in God, conforming ourselves to him. And then the third thing, it's celebrating his majesty. The third purpose of prayer is celebrating his majesty. It says, if you would read in Isaiah 43, verse 6 and 7, which says, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, hey, don't withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That, friends, is what God is doing. He says, I delighted to make you my image bearers, and I delight to use you for my glory and the good of others. Friends, that's what prayer is as well. Now look, here's what's crazy. If God has said your life is a demonstration of his faithfulness and you're his image bearer, then my question is, is why would you think of prayer any different? If he desires to use your life as an image bearer, friends, he desires to use your prayer as an image bearer and a reflection. So it doesn't change. If my life is not my own and I'm not aligning God to my life, but my life to his will, then why do we flip that when it comes to prayer? It can't be both in. Our lives are surrendered to his will and our prayer is surrendered to his will. What is our desire? That in our life and in our prayer, God gets all glory. And so prayer, celebrating his majesty, simply is a reminder of Psalm 50, verse 15. Look what it says. Hey, call upon me in the day of trouble. I'll deliver you. God delights to deliver you in trouble. But look what it says next. And you shall glorify me. Why does God pull you out of the muck and the mire? So that he gets the glory. Why does God bring about physical healing? So that he gets the glory. Why does God do anything on planet earth? Is so he gets the glory. He does that in our life and he desires to do that in prayer. So when God is moving and orchestrating, he is not doing it so that you and I get the glory, but that he gets the glory. John chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus says these words. He goes, hey, ask whatever you wish in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Who gets the glory? The Father through the Son. That's the point of prayer. If prayer is resembling your glory, then friends, it's probably not likely to come to pass. If prayer resembles God's glory, then you're aligning yourself with him. It reminds me of the text that we closed with last week in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, which we talked about light and salt. But he says this way, and we close with this. 
He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that others what, would see your good works and give glory to you. No, to give glory to what? Your Father who is in heaven. So if your life is about God's glory, friends, your prayer has to be about God's glory as well. So God is not glorying in you. He glories in himself. And our prayer is an opportunity to do three things. Put our confidence in him, conform our lives to his will, and thirdly, to celebrate his majesty. That's why we pray. Now you might ask the question, okay, great. That's why I pray, but how do I pray? And maybe you're like, I'm an expert in this area and you don't need any help. And so if that's the case, just tune me out from here on, okay? But maybe you're like me. You're like, I can grow in this area and I can continue to, to learn new ways to pray. And, I, and I, maybe you're like me. You oftentimes get distracted because that's really where I struggle the most. I, I just am so distracted. I, I'm like a squirrel and I'm bouncing back and forth. And so I need a pattern. I, I need some things to, to kind of plan after. And so I'm going to give you a couple of patterns, but I'm going to give you one from the Lord's Prayer. And so I'm going to show you the plan of prayer and we're going to find that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. This is when Jesus shares the Lord's Prayer. Now, we've heard the Lord's Prayer. Many of us know the Lord's Prayer. Whether it is you praying it back in high school after a ball game, or you've prayed it through a recovery ministry, or whatever it is, you've prayed the Lord's Prayer. So let's see the pattern that's manifested in the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says this. Jesus says, hey, when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street quarters that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. The idea here is he goes, hey, listen, when you pray, don't worry about comparison to other people. So he goes, if your prayer life is to emulate someone else, then he goes, you've already missed it. It's the wrong motive. Why do we pray? To put confidence in God. To align and conform our lives to his will and to celebrate his majesty. Friends, you don't need to compare your life to anyone else to do those three things. And what is so awesome about this passage, and I'm so glad that Jesus said this. He goes, listen, you're not to pray like others pray. And he goes, don't be like the hypocrites. And what is he saying there? He goes, just don't be like the person who says, hey, look at me. If your prayer life is long because you are praying so that others may see, then man, that's the wrong motive. Matter of fact, I'll tell you, this is a pet peeve of mine. I didn't say this in the first service, but I'm gonna share it with you because again, we have nowhere to be, right? Cowboys don't play to tomorrow. <laughs> so just an extra bonus. And maybe you've never thought of it, but it, it just it is a huge pet peeve of mine. And the reason why is because, well, it just drives me nuts, and I'm going to share it with you. When people are leading a prayer, and then in the middle of the prayer, it stops and it shifts. And they're not talking to God anymore, now they're talking to the audience. Have you ever noticed that? And, and why is that a, pre, a, a pet peeve of mine? It's because prayer is not... It's not about changing people in the room. And we're not praying to you. I'm not praying for you. I'm praying to who? How often is it so easy for us to, to be nervous about prayer because we think we're praying for everyone else in the room? And there's a reason that many of you are like, I don't, I don't, I don't pray in front of others. And the reason why is because I, I'm just afraid of what they're going to say or do. Listen, Jesus makes it super easy. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. 
delight to come before your Father in heaven. It doesn't have to be long phrases. It doesn't have to be big words. All he cares is a conversation takes place. He goes, if you need to, go to your room and shut the door. That's so good. It's so helpful. Matter of fact, he goes on a little bit later. If you look at just the next verse in verse 7 and 8, he says, And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. It just is so helpful to know that I am not conforming my life to everybody else's opinions. I'm conforming my life to God's pattern and to his will and his provision. That's good news for us. Now, here's the deal. A couple quick things before we dive into the actual prayer. It is helpful, as Jesus said, to find a place to pray. You see that Jesus prayed often, and he would go to a desolate place. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, I'm not putting it for you up on the screen, but he just said early in the morning, Jesus went out and he found a desolate place to pray. Jesus had a common practice of withdrawing from other people to a private place. Hey, you and I should too. Now, you might ask the question, well, is there a particular place that it should be? I would say a private place. So where is that private place? I don't know. I live in a house that's about 1,100 square feet, so it's very difficult to find many private places. And so wherever I can find some still spots, oftentimes I'll pray in my vehicle, I'll pray um, in my office a lot, I'll pray at my house a lot. One of the places I love to pray is in my deer stand. Love to pray there. I love to, I love to retreat there often. I, I probably 30 times in the last three months I've retreated there and just long times of prayer. Fantastic. Don't see anything because I'm praying, but it's great. So wherever that is, find a place to pray. And then I would say this, consider a devoted posture. Now, in a devoted posture, what do I mean by that? Well, you see in Scripture multitudes of times that you see people get down on their knees. In Luke chapter 22, is Jesus is meeting with his disciples, uh, or about to, even uh, after the Lord's Supper and all that, it says he withdrew from uh, them, the disciples, about a stone's throw away. And then it says, and then he knelt down and he prayed. If you remember, uh, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 14, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father in heaven before you. Um, if you remember the account of Daniel in the lion's den and the uh, the cohort uh, that planned and devised a scheme against him caused him to go back to his house and pray like he always had before in his particular place, and he devoted himself to prayer three times as he always had before, and what did he do? He knelt down on his knees. And you may be hearing, you're all, well, it's like I have to kneel down on my knees. And I would say, well, you kneel before coaches after a game, and so you're still here. You're like, okay, so that's a strong case. Okay, here's what I would say. I think God hears us anytime, anywhere. That would go against everything I just said earlier if you had to be on your knees. So what does he care about? A devoted posture. What is a devoted posture? It is that our heart is right before him. I am the vine, you are the branches. If man remains in me and I him, he'll bear a truth. Apart from me, you can do nothing. A devoted posture is simply saying, Lord, I need you. I love this poem that I've, I've had for years, probably 20 years. I've probably used it once or twice here over the last 12 years. Um, you probably don't remember it, but here it is. It's a handful of church guys talking about prayer. And it says one of them, uh, Deacon Lemuel Keys, he says this, the proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keys, and the only proper way is down upon his knees. 
Well, I should say a man should pray with rapt and upturned eyes, with both his hands lifted up, said Brother Reverend Wise. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Snow. Such posture is way too proud. A man should pray with his eyes fast closed and his head contritely bowed. Huh. Well, it seems to me that his hands should be austerly clasped in front with both his thumbs pointing down, said Dr. Reverend Blunt. Oh, last year I fell in Higgins' well head first, said Cyrus Brown. With both my feet sticking up and my head pointing down, I prayed the, a prayer right then and there. It is the prayingest prayer I've ever said. And I was stuck in a well with uh, my feet upside down, and I was standing on my head. And it's the deal. It's like you find yourself stuck in a well, what are you going to do? You're going to pray, right? Find yourself in a hospital, and you're going to pray. You find yourself in the midst of a traffic jam, you're probably going to cuss, and then hopefully pray. <laughs> so the reality is, is wherever we are, it's a devoted posture. We're going to pray. It's an opportunity to see the Lord at work. And here's the plan. He says this, pray like this, and then he just maps it out. Verses 9 through 13, look what he says. He says, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the pattern. You start in prayer by declaring God's glory. You declare his glory. Hallowed be your name. A different way to say that would be, God, you are fantastic. God, you are holy. You are great. God, you are set apart from all the things. I love just practically to go through the book of Psalms. You can pick a, bo a, a book and you can just begin to extol praises upon God because of his attributes and his character. He is faithful. He is just. He is holy. He is our refuge. He is our rock. He's our fortress. He is our friend. He is our comforter. He's our help in time of need. He is our provider. He is the one who meets all of our needs. He is our salvation. He is our strength. He is our wisdom. He is our guide. He is our light. He is our way. He is the door. He is the lamb. He's our salvation. He's our sacrifice. Guys, I could go on for 20 minutes and you just extol him. God, hallowed be your name. And then what do you do? You delight. God, would you bring your kingdom? It's, it's your kingdom. Lord, would you manifest your presence through me and through your people on earth as it is in heaven? God, would you bring about your purposes on planet earth? God, would you help me to be in partnership with that? God, would you help me to declare your glory? It's the desire to have his imminent return. Like, Lord, you're coming. You're coming. We know you, Terry, because you're patient. You long suffer, God, so that others can come to know you. Lord, would you help me join in that purpose? Who has come to know Christ as a result of you and your prayer? Nobody start praying. Nobody start living actively engaged to declare God's glory. That's what it's about. That's what prayer is. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see that? Declare God's glory. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and then give us this day our daily bread. When I think about that, I think about delighting in God's goodness. Now, how often should we delight in God's goodness? Every day. Every day. We delight in God's goodness every day. Why? Because we need his goodness every day. It is interesting to me that he says, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say our weekly bread. He didn't say our monthly bread. He didn't say our quarterly or yearly bread. He said our daily bread. Now, the reason that Jesus says this is not because you and I need food every day. That's not it. What do we need every day to stay connected to the vine? 
Abiding means we remain every day. Every day we need him and we need to declare God's glory every day and we delight in his goodness every day. So what does it mean? Delighting in God's goodness is exactly what half the half-brother of Jesus, James, says in James chapter 1, verse 17, which just says, every good and perfect gift is from above. So what is from above that is good in your life? Delight in it. How do you delight in it? You delight in it by praising God and thanking him for what he's given you. So what is that? Family, friends, a church family, um, food, provisions, daily bread, physically, spiritually, emotionally. We are so thankful that God gives us freedom, protection, all these things that we can thank him for, a long list, and we just collect that list, and here we, we simply delight in God's goodness. That's what we do. So we declare God's glory in prayer. We delight in his goodness. It's Matthew chapter 7. If you go a chapter over from where we're camped right here, you see Jesus because he begins to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, hey, around prayer, he goes, ask and it'll be given to you and seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks and the one who knocks, it'll be opened. So he goes, look, I, I, I give good gifts to those who ask. And then I love what Jesus goes on to say. He says, hey, which one of you, if, if his son asks him for bread, you're going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, you're going to give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I love that. Like my son has never come to me and said, hey, dad, can I get a sandwich? And I give him a rock. And I would not say that I'm an excellent dad. It's an area I wrestle with a lot. I wouldn't say I'm a great dad. I'd say I've got a lot of growth. But he's never asked me for bread and I gave him a rock. When's the last time that you conformed your life and your will to God and he didn't give you what you needed? The problem, I think, is that we fail to do it daily or with persistence which is so interesting here because we can take the, the, the notion and we could say, well, it's about, it's about God delighting to good, give, give, give good gifts. Like an earthly father does, God does more than that. And I would say that's true. But what I really think the emphasis here in that text is ask, seek, and knock. I think the, the lesson that Jesus wants to teach us is that when you implore him with persistence, he delights to give good gifts. Do you know what I think the challenge is for me? Maybe for you, is that I'm not very persistent. But I'll tell you, over the last about three months, I have been very persistent, very persistent in some areas of my life, daily praying. I am waiting and I am watching. For the first time in my life, I have prayed every single day for a series of days collectively, asking, seeking, and knocking. And these prayers have little to do with what I desire. It is truly a desire to see God's work and his word made known through others. And I can't wait because you don't know it, but I'm praying for you. And I'm praying for the work that God is cultivating right now in your heart, that he is springing up with inside you to make you his man, to make you his woman. And I want you to know that I am praying fervently in ways that I never have, and I can't wait to see what God does because I approach him every single day with persistence. Friends, that's delighting in God's goodness. 
Delighting in God's goodness is not a, hey God, you dropped this one on me and that was really good. I finally got the promotion. No, delighting in God's goodness is knowing that he is good regardless if you got that promotion. He's good because of all these other ways that he meets your daily needs. That's what it looks like. But here's the deal. It's also, if you look, he continues on the Lord's Prayer, verse 12. He goes, and he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So it's not just declaring God's glory and delighting in his goodness, but it's demonstrating God's grace. Now, when I think about demonstrating God's grace, I think about two areas. One, I think about my daily need for grace. God, I'm a bonehead. I'm struggling right now in this season, Lord, because I, I've just... I'm, I just, I seem to be a little more quick-tempered. I'm on edge more, Lord, than I need to be. And why is that? God, what is it in my heart that you need to work out? Where, God, I'm anxious in these areas. I'm, I'm just I'm frustrated in these ways. And, and I'll tell you, I confess the first service, the one who gets the brunt of my anger more than anybody is my firstborn son. And I delight for him to be great. And he is fantastic young man in many ways, but I find myself lacking patience with him that I would have for my others. Why is that? It's because he has more responsibility than the others. And in a lot of ways, he has exceeded the responsibility. And I could number off the things that this young man could do that many 40-year-old men can't do. And it's amazing because he could go out right now, I promise you, and work for most of you on a farm and Every single day, succeed and, and learn and do new tasks. And yet, I find myself impatient with him many times. Why? I don't know. Like, Lord, help me. I need grace in that area. I need grace from my son, and I need grace from God. But in the same way, I don't just need grace. I also have to display grace, right? So what do we display grace for? We display grace for those not only that... Ha- that we are uh, having our debts forgiven by God, but also that we would forgive our debtors, that there are people who have wronged us and we need the grace and the means to forgive. And so it's both and. So prayer doesn't just declare God's glory and delight in his goodness, but it also demonstrates God's grace. It shows that we forgive because Christ has forgiven us much, Ephesians 4.32. That's what prayer does. And then lastly, I love this, verse 13. He says, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why would God lead you into temptation? He wouldn't, ever. What's he want, desire to do? Deliver you from evil. Yes, fantastic. But what does he mean? He says, desire God's guidance. And so you desire God's guidance. You ask, Lord, help me. This is the idea of Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and with my eye upon you. Yes, it's the idea of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's the idea of Psalm 119, 105. It's the idea that God would be a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. It's the desire that he has to make your path straight. He desires to do those things. And even more than when we ask for guidance. The half-brother of Jesus says in James chapter 1, verse 5, he goes, anyone lack wisdom? Ask God. He delights to give it to you generously. What does God desire? He desires that his glory is manifested. He desires to bring about his purposes, and he desires to, to, to do that through his guidance in your life. That's what prayer is about. And so it's the purpose and the plan of prayer. Now, that might be a little confusing to you because you're probably not going to go back and and read the the Lord's Prayer every day and go, you know what? Okay, here, I'm going to take a second and declare God's glory. You can. That's a very good pattern. But let me give you another one that I gave students recently, and that is cat is. Everybody say cat is. is. Okay, we're going to try it one more time. We'll wake up a couple of people that are asleep. Cat Cat is. 
I didn't name it Cat Is because I like cats. I actually don't like cats at all, okay? But it does help me. I love acronyms because they help me. Cat Is. Here's what, here's what the C is. It's confession. The A is adoration. T is thanksgiving. I is supplication or intercession. And S is supplication. Now, the reason I give you that is because it's a simple model that you can memorize and use. Cat Is. Confession. I start with confession because apart from God, my heart is wicked. I cannot even approach God with the right motives if I don't confess that I have wrong motives before I ever come to the table. And so I start there. Lord, my heart is wicked. I know that apart from you, there is nothing good in my life. God, I know that my life is unmanageable, out of control, and I know that apart from you, there is no good thing. But what I delight to be good, I delight to be your man. I delight to, to be your standard. And so here's the ways I have not measured up and I just need your forgiveness. God, would you help me? And I confess those things. Sometimes that's a few minutes and other days it seems like it's hours, okay? Y'all probably can relate. Then I move on to the idea of adoration. I explained that a second ago, what adoration looked like. I don't think I need to unpack that again, but it's a chance just to adore God. It's not to be confused with thanksgiving. Hey, I'm not thanking you because, God, you do this. No, it is simply saying, God, you are majestic, supreme, holy. It is just describing who he is in adoration. You just tell him what he already knows about himself. But it aligns your heart perfectly. And then you move to thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an opportunity to delight in all the good gifts that God gives you. He is the good gift giver. There is nothing that you have ever enjoyed that is not from God. So thank him for it. And then intercession. Now I put intercession there before supplication because when I, when I move to confession, adoration, thanksgiving, then I'm praying for others. Listen, I get to the bottom and not only am I tired <laughs> when I get to supplication, I also have a heart that's aligned to know that there's little to do in the world that has to be reflected around me. Yes, I do need some wisdom from time to time. And yes, I do need God's grace from time to time. But the reality is I'm not entering into prayer to be about me. I put me at the last. Why? Because in every other of my life, I put myself first. And so if you struggle to put yourself first in every other area of life, hey, put yourself last in prayer. It'll help you a ton. Align every other aspect of your life. So I put others in front of me. And I have a list of others. And many of you in this room are on that, on that list. And the reason you're on that list is because you're going through something that I'm aware of. Not everybody's on that list because I'm not aware of every single thing. And I'm finite. I can't pray about every situation at every single time. But what I do is I try to list everything I know, and I try to be persistent about that, praying. And then here's the deal. Friends, every time I enter a prayer, it's not cat is, okay? Um, but I try to do this once a day, cat is. The other time in the prayer, I'm driving down the road, and you pop into my mind because um, I just had a conversation. And, and, or I'm praying with you on the phone because we just ended a conversation. The reality is I try to pray when it comes to my mind as well because I'm forgetful. But the point is, is that prayer is simply these things. That help. I pray that's practical, and I pray that that, that helps you. And here's the deal. I've also convinced myself that in all the little things and the big things, I'm not sure if the Cowboys is something that God cares about. <laughs> That's for you to determine. I do believe that he does, he does delight to answer Dak Prescott's prayers if he's praying. But the reality is, is remember what prayer is about. What is prayer about? Prayer is about these things, a confidence in God, conforming our lives to his patterns, and celebrating his majesty. Do that, and God will align everything else that seems to be right. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray that you would use this to encourage our hearts and to spur us on towards love and good deeds. 
Lord, we could talk about prayer for nine total weeks, and we certainly wouldn't cover it all. And so, Lord, just forgive us for not diving in probably as much as we could and should. But, Lord, we know the pattern of prayer is very clear in your word. Lord, over 650 prayers, Lord, you've given us. 400-plus responses. Lord, we know that you're thorough. But, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be students of prayer and help us to learn ways to keep our finite, limited, and distracted minds aligned with you. We need your help. And so, Lord, we implore you and we ask, Lord, that you would give us your power and your prominence and your provision, not for our glory, but for your glory alone. In Jesus' name.